you are interested in getting into this business, definitely do your research. You know, when I was first interviewing brokerages, I did listen to your podcast prior to that, asked specific questions. And even with newer agents now, I said, you know, one of the major things that kind of brought me to Bricks was go speak to one of their newer agents and just to make sure what they're promising you is actually what they're going to follow through with. And, you know, that really distinguished where I picked. And I tell you, when you ask that question, it kind of catches them off guard. So one, find a good brokerage Two, make sure your finances are in set. If you do own a property, you know, make sure you got a HELOC. Ideally live with your parents like my son. I was kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask daddy for a nice little line of credit or some funding. And then just, you know, go all in, right? Like it's very difficult to be a part-time, not saying you can't do it, but to really show, you know, you're in it to win it. Mine, that's pretty cheesy, but you know, you want to take it very seriously from the beginning. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. In this episode, Jesse shares a strategy he uses to get realtors to give him their lists, so he can call them the best mindset to have to overcome rejection, how Jesse begins and ends his calling sessions to protect that mindset, and finally, how Toastmasters has helped him grow his business. Stick around to the end and I'm going to share through the number one characteristics that I have found in successful rookies. And I've literally seen this for the last seven or eight years and Jesse has it. And I'll share what that is. Jesse's a grad of our Rookie to Rockstar program and I had him come on because I wanted him to share a little bit about his story and about his mindset. I also asked Jesse at the end, I'm like, hey, what worked in our program and what didn't? And the reason we share what didn't is because, hey, we're trying to learn too. And I believe that you need to share the good and the bad because the good do more of it and the bad is like hey how do we improve it it's not even the bad but the areas of improvement maybe we'll call it and so jesse shares his honest opinion on our program i'm your host scott beckford you're listening to the island mortgage brokering podcast this is the number one podcast for mortgage brokers in the country before we jump into this episode i gotta give a shout out to our title sponsor finmo we love finmo finmo is a canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for canadian borrowers it's very easy to use it's much easier to learn and then the support they have is ridiculous like if you're on the platform and you have questions you can start chatting with them they're extremely quick to respond and help you out they have walkthrough videos to help with everything and it's just a great tool and i've had a lot of brokers that weren't using it that i know that have tried it out and they end up getting hooked on it it's sort of like crack cocaine if you will it's fantastic check them out at lindas.com finmo Check out this conversation with Jesse. Hey, Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I'm very happy to be here. You're kind of having a little fanboy moment, to be honest, because I've always listened to the podcast. Well, dude, I'm excited to talk to you. And maybe before we get into that, just tell me a little bit about your background. So when did you get in the mortgage business and what were you doing before? So I got fully licensed and activated in 2022, June 6th. Prior to that, I was working for the government in the infrastructure maintenance section. And then prior to that, I was a business owner with a family business for roughly about six, seven years. So I was a young entrepreneur since I was about 20, 21. And then since leaving that, selling my shares, moving on, I kind of worked the typical nine to five with a pension and all that other fun stuff they promised. But then you're like, hey, I got to go back to being self-employed. So what made you choose mortgages? Why mortgages? So, I mean, I do own a property and I did take out a HELOC to increase the value, some active appreciation. And I do have some friends that work with the bank and I've always kind of been fascinated and especially when I was with the small business I was a part of, I kind of got addicted to using other people's money to, you know, increase your revenue. And with mortgages specifically, I mean, I've listened to your podcast for a while. I've always wanted to go from the blue collar to the white collar status. And I just loved everything about uh, it. There's another level. It's called hoodie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
I mean, I mean, I'm wearing a Gucci hoodie. Out. I mean, you're looking sharp today, but you know. Yeah, you, yeah. So I have shorts on underneath this, by the way. <laughs> a curtain by Moran, it goes like blue collar, white collar, and then hoodie. That's somebody who just works from home. Hoodie or ball cap. Okay, so what surprised you most? So like most people, you had this idea in your head of what mortgages were or being a mortgage broker was. What surprised you most about being a mortgage broker that you didn't expect? I mean, coming out of the exam, I want to say they really don't tell you how the market is, how to run the business, and how to obviously get leads. Just a comment, I want to say the most surprising thing is just the hustle and the mindset you need to kind of be successful in this business. There's a lot more that entails than just knowing, you know, specific formulas. It's just a lot to take in. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much, because you're constantly, you know, kind of see every client's file. It's almost like a puzzle piece when you have to fit them to the specific lender, the specific puzzle. So that's what kind of keeps me engaged because I'm just constantly always learning. And I think that's one of the reasons why I do enjoy this business. Right. Okay. And then, so what's been the hardest part for you? So I always say like, there's, you know, finding business, which is go out and talking to referral sources and cold calling or whatever. There's converting clients. So there's a client conversation and there's the underwriting, the funding part, which was the hardest. I mean, at the start, I did find the underwriting to be completely difficult just because it's so brand new to me. Since then, I've obviously caught on. But I want to say just kind of working out, you know, where the best fit for that specific client is, was definitely a challenge. Right. Okay. And then anything else that you found surprisingly more difficult compared to what you're thinking? Yeah. I mean, like, of course, the mindset. I did start in one of the hardest markets. And, you know, the yeah, mindset. Yeah, you did. It was pretty much like the end of like everything started to slow right down at that point. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely the mindset, right? The roller coaster of going up and down. And I mean, the Monday mindset calls does help quite a bit. The wife always says I have toxic positivity, but so I'm always looking at the brighter side. And as being a previous business owner, I know you're going to have ups and downs and it does take a while to create that kind of referral business that I'm looking to create. That's actually a good trait though. Toxic positivity. I listened to another podcast about founders and it talks about a lot of successful founders have this irrational optimism. It's kind of like the black knight. Remember in Monty Python? Yeah. It's just a flesh wound. Like if you <laughs> yeah, have that exactly. mindset, you literally like, you'll be successful in business because you're just too dumb to quit, really. Like it's like, oh, it's going to be fine. And it will be. Otherwise, you can easily get run off the rails and stuff. So yeah. And of course, as time goes on, you always look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe I hit that low. Or, you know, especially when you're not receiving phone calls from people you talk to all the time, you just play the story in your head. Oh, they do not like me. Or they're using somebody else when you know, across the board, it's just maybe they're busy or maybe they're not busy taking vacation, right? So it's just that constant battle of mindset. So how do you maintain that mindset? Like, would you say you always have this bent, like a positive bent? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think I got that from my mom and my dad, 100%. My right. family kind of... That's a good thing to inherit. Yeah, yeah. And like a lot of my family members are entrepreneurs as well and have businesses. So I think we've just been raised like that. But what I do is like, I'm big on you know, box breathing, of course, like yoga, I do my best to kind of you say, of course, like, as if like, of course, well, everybody does box breathing. I mean, yeah, so yeah. Maybe explain, know what it is, but maybe explain to somebody who's listening, what is box breathing? Yeah, of course. So box breathing is just like, you know, taking a moment to disassociate yourself from whatever kind of feelings that you have. And you're basically just breathing in by three seconds, you're holding for three seconds, you're exhaling for three seconds, and then you're stopping for three seconds, right? So you're really just controlling your breath breathing through your nose, breathing through your mouth, or I guess disassociate from any thought that you have. A nice so how long will you do that? So let's say you do get a negative thought, like, oh my gosh, why did this realtor not call me back? Or why did whatever? The yeah, I, I kind of identify specific moments where I'm kind of, you know, maybe lost with anxiety or lost in a specific way. And that's when I'll kind of, you know, identify that. And then that's when I'll just do some box breathing. How long? For how long? Roughly say about two to three minutes. 
Okay. So you said the things you do for mindset, box breathing, what else? Like yoga. I do practice yoga here and then with the wife, of course. I mean, just kind of disassociating myself when I get into these moments, going for a walk, taking my dog for a walk, exercising. And of course, having a good routine is a huge part of it as well. And collaborating and talking with, you know, our colleagues that are definitely going through the same kind of roller coaster as everyone is in this kind of market. Yeah, it's definitely a challenging market. I'd say it's the most challenging market that I've seen in 15 years, like back in 2008 when it sort of, you know, but if you build a business in this market, man, I'm telling you, and you stay in touch with people, you're going to be like, wow, it's like you're running uphill right now. When it yeah. gets flat, you're going to be like, this is so easy. It's like I used to own a place on a hill. And every time I go for a run, I had to run hills just to get back to my house. But then when you moved somewhere flat, I was like, wow, this is easy. That's what's going on right now. You're in a market where it's basically running hills, but you will be way stronger and better. Even experienced people dropping out going, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. So that creates opportunity, right? And honestly, that's the kind of the same thing I'm playing in my head, uh, speaking with other people in this industry. And, you know, it kind of looks back, it makes me laugh and I might be crazy, but I think I'd rather start in a harder market just to know what a hard market's like and kind of establish those kind of routines and those processes to find business because when the interest rates do come down and the market is a little more marketable, I guess you could say, I'm very confident that it'll pick up for me. Okay. So you'd mentioned before on the show, I think you said you closed four mortgages June and five in August, which is mm-hmm. awesome. How is your pipeline looking right now? Yeah, it's looking good. I have uh, quite a few pre-approvals done, some rate holds. I do have another offer just that got accepted, a couple of refinances coming up. So I'm very just back to prospecting before the fall market comes to kind of increase that pipeline. And so what kind of things did you do to fill your pipeline or to get the business that you have? Referral. I'm huge on referrals. I don't pay for any leads, cold leads. And I distinguish that to all of my referral partners as well. I want to build my business strictly on referrals and no kind of capital-based referral fee. So some of the things I do, I'm doing cold calling, I'm doing social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I'm going to open houses on weekends, any kind of networking event, part of Toastmasters as well, which is a great way to kind of get my face out there. And of course, my email, doing something called a list assist, where I take realtors list and call them on behalf from the mortgage financing side, courtesy calls. Yeah. And just following up with my network constantly. Right. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. That whole idea of basically get the realtors list, call their people for them, check in. And realtors are happy to let you do it. They're like, yeah, here's my list. Like, you know, if you build enough rapport anyways, they'll let you do it, right? Yeah, of course. Like I was was calling today, actually, the client, potential client actually gave me a referral for one of his friends who's actually in a private mortgage. So it's like, it goes both ways, right? Yeah, the thing is, is that when you're calling those lists, they're not just purchase leads. They could be anything. They could be, like you said, mortgage, refi, renewals, because these are people that were probably homeowners in most cases. So... Tell me about Toastmasters. Like, how has that helped? Because I did Toastmasters for a while, actually a few years, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And so how has that helped? And did you do public speaking before? Or tell me about that. Yeah, no public speaking before. I mean, I think I do talk a lot, especially at parties and networking events. I consider myself very friendly, but Toastmasters has definitely helped me out a lot, helped with public speaking. It's a very non-judgmental type of group where they give you pointers and we do something called table topics, where it's just almost improv speaking. You know, What's the I, best table topic that you've seen thrown at you? So uh, maybe explain what it is. So it's like basically they give you a topic and you have 60 seconds. How long do you have to talk about it? Uh, yeah, you roughly, well, they judge you, right? So you want to hit it within 60 seconds. And if it goes over, then it's a yellow. If it goes even over, that's a red and you're disqualified. Not necessarily disqualified, but more so, you know, they make a point of it, right? So yeah, I want to say the best table topics I've had recently would be to kind of put you in the shoes of a specific celebrity or influencer, I guess. 
you know, he would say, hey, you are Warren Buffett, you know, talk to me like you're at your summer cottage and I'm someone coming to your door. It just very puts you on your toes. And of course, you want to say some of the sayings that he says and talk about or, or do what he does. Right. So it definitely. Did you get that one as a topic? Yeah, that absolutely bombed it, to be honest. Okay, so how would you answer it now? I'm just curious, how would you answer it? Honestly, like you put me on the spot again. I'm going to bomb <laughs> Table you. topics on the podcast. I've never done this. Yeah, I yeah. used to love table topics, although I have not done them in a long time. But you still want to have structure, beginning, middle, and end. The hard part about it is you need to not only talk about something, but it needs to kind of make sense. You need to tie it in a bow. Otherwise, it's just rambling, right? That's yeah. the tricky part. Yeah, exactly. No, it is definitely difficult. And it's definitely a good thing to kind of practice as well. Because, you know, at any networking event, who knows what somebody's going to ask you, or if you want to make a comment on something, it really keeps you thinking on your toes. Definitely. You know what I was doing recently? This may sound super nerdy, but I like that show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. And yeah. I would watch the question and then I would pause it and I try to come up with my own answer. And then I would watch the rest of it. And it would just be, it's kind of like tabletop. It's just like, okay, they would ask some ridiculous thing. And then I'd be like, what did I come up with? You know, and it's a creative thinking exercise, basically. So yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's helped me out quite a bit. Right. Yeah. And there's little tricks and tools you can use to make it easier too, right? Like public speaking, like everything, like sending email, like sales scripting. Is Toastmasters at all helped you with, because you said you're doing cold calls and you're one people that you don't know. Is that something you're always comfortable with? Or is it something you developed? Or tell me about that. That's definitely something I developed. I mean, when I was with my brother for our family business, we didn't necessarily have to do too much cold calls. There'd be periodically here and there, but more so just developing relationships with other contractors, municipalities, etc. But yeah, Toastmasters, I would say definitely made me feel more confident in speaking and really like taking the time not too much time, but the time to think about, you know, what objection you're going to get and plan to, you know, come up with a rebuttal for that, right? Right, right. Okay. So what's the weirdest, I mean, you haven't done this long time, but you've been doing these, what's the weirdest sort of response you've got on a cold call, like say calling the realtor list that you're like, that was weird? I mean, of course you get, you know, it's a cold call. They think I'm a telemarketer. I just try to be as genuine as possible, but you know, the typical, yeah, I get bent or... You know, hey, I don't want to talk to you. Like, why are you calling me? Honestly, I haven't got that too much just because I kind of don't give them an opportunity to speak right at the start. I lay it all out and then give pause for them to kind of say something back. But just your typical telemarketer responses, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, no thanks, click kind of thing. And they just, yeah. and hey, so, I'm out with friends. And so, how do you not take that personally? Because, so, I mean, if people didn't have a fear of rejection, just imagine what you could accomplish, right? Like, imagine the things you would try. And so how do you mentally deal with it? Honestly, I just think of it as a game. You know, once, especially when you receive one objection and how you handle it, you kind of take a moment, you pause, you're like, how could I have responded to that? And you kind of think of different ways to handle that objection. So even with cold calling realtors, cold calling, you know, potential clients, I honestly just think of it as a game and I never end on a bad note. So if I was given a call, I said, hey, get that, don't call me. I'm like, okay, I'm making five more. I always start on an easy and end on an easy, or at least on a positive note. I see. That's good. So you don't go, oh, I got to go take a break now. And then the last thing in your mind is get bent, which who says that? Like, how old is this person? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, you called Bart Simpson, you know, like get bent. <laughs> and I mean, I had a conversation with one guy yesterday and he's like, hey, I'm out with my friends. I'm like, okay, I'll call you back. He's like, no, 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 we'll talk now. I'm like, well, why would you answer if you're out with your friends, right? <laughs> he doesn't like his friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a game in my mind. Okay. So what do you think is the biggest challenge right now for you in your mortgage business? I want to say right now is just kind of, you know, as you get these busy moments, we have a lot of clients purchasing, offers accepted. It's just kind of organizing, getting back to, you know, say at the roots of it, you know, time blocking, time to prospect, time to work on files. I think that a lot of people in this industry, you're almost like a squirrel, just, you know, looking for the next shiny nut, right? You're just constantly doing this, doing this, doing that. 
versus really time blocking and taking the time to continue prospecting, even when you have those busy moments. Right. Okay. And so my son is 16. He's thinking about coming in the mortgage business. What advice would you give him? 100% get your finances set up before you make the jump. He lives at home. Yeah, he lives at home. Jump <laughs> He's right. He's like, okay, check. What's next? Yeah. You know, time block, get a proper mindset, get a routine in place. And just don't chase that shiny, shiny nut. Just don't be a squirrel. And, you know, there's lots of opportunities to make a good income in this business and a lot of different avenues and revenue streams. Just kind of stick to what works for you and, you know, make those systems and make it as solid and concrete as possible before you kind of jump to the next revenue stream. Right. As his dad, I definitely would be the one that's chasing the shiny object. So he, <laughs> yeah. you know, I got to keep him from doing that. So you've been part of Bricks. You joined us at the beginning. And so, what worked for you? And I'm even going to ask you what did, because people can hear both sides. I don't care. So what worked really well? And then what did you find that areas that we can improve? So definitely what worked is how collaborative we are. We have a way of just discussing everything openly. Everyone's very nice here and, and willing to help, especially before when I was a rookie and still to this day as a pro as well. I definitely love the underwriter room. We have great coaches. So all together, I think the support and every question that I need answered was always there. The one thing I didn't like was, you know, we'd review with underwriting coach, we'd submit, and then we'd kind of be, I wouldn't say out of the picture, but we'd have to wait for updates from our submission coach. So of course, making the transition from becoming a rookie to a pro, there's like that, you know, big gap of the process that you don't really understand. And I think if we were able to even be CC'd or some way we can be involved with, you know, how the communication is going with the submission coach, as well as the lender's underwriter, just so we can see how to kind of combat maybe these conditions that shouldn't be there and just see how they follow up. Right, right, right. So you could be like, even a fly on the wall, that would be good. I know that. So Denise has come on board and she's been basically yeah, helping the underwriters retool and improve. And it's been amazing so far, the stuff that she's done. But that's one of the areas that, you know, it's like whatever you solve one problem, there's just another one. It's like, okay, you know, figure out how do we help people get referrals? Okay, great. And the next problem is how do we get them to have a client conversation that they can convert? Okay, great. Now underwrite. Okay, great. We've got like somebody to support you. But then the next it's hit submit. That's where it kind of goes into a bit of a black box. And it's like, okay, what's going on? And then you get it back. Okay, it's good. And you're like, yeah, but I didn't learn in that gap. And so exactly. and um, then I got to do a shout out to Jerry. Jerry's awesome. He has yeah. great updates. And like, you know, he thoroughly explains it. It's just that one little gap, as you said. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that we're definitely working on, but I do appreciate the, like, we're all about getting feedback, good and bad, because we can't get better if we don't hear the, and so that's an area that we're like, okay, it's almost like uh, there's this called the theory of constraints. And so your business will grow to the narrowest point. And mm -hmm. so it's like, okay, we've been working on all these different parts. And then, okay, now that part is probably the one section that we need to figure out how to improve that. Like we've updated a bunch of underwriter training. We've got a whole bunch of like new challenges and things coming out to help people go deep on certain topics. But okay. that one would be an area where it's something we're working on. So it's really good feedback. Yeah. And like, like I've been with Bricks, I would say from the beginning, but, you know, near the beginning, I guess you could say. So I have seen, you know, the improves in systems and everything is just constantly getting better and better for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, man, thank you so much for that feedback. Anything else that you think I should ask you about in terms of like people would, if they're listening to this and they're newer in the mortgage business, what would your advice be to them? I mean, at the start, I want to say personally, I was still working on my job before I left. And I also did have a side business. I want to say, you know, if you are interested in getting into this business, definitely do your research. You know, when I was first interviewing brokerages, I did listen to your podcast prior to that, asked specific questions. And even with newer agents now, I said, you know, one of the major things that kind of brought me to Bricks was go speak to one of their newer agents and just to make sure what they're promising you is actually what they're going to follow through with. And, you know, that really distinguished where I picked 
And I tell you, when you ask that question, it kind of catches them off guard. So one, find a good brokerage. Two, make sure your finances are in set. If you do own a property, you know, make sure you got a key lock. Ideally live with your parents like my son. I was kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask daddy for a nice little line of credit or some funding. And then just, you know, go all in, right? Like it's very difficult to be a part-time, not saying you can't do it, but to really show, you know, you're in it to win it. Man, that's pretty cheesy, but, you know, you want to take it very seriously from the beginning. I have a question that just from something you said there. So how long did you have the side job and how many hours a week were you working at it? And when did sure. you know that you could leave it? Honestly, I'm very risk tolerant, I guess you could say. So I kind of got my finances set up as soon as I got my license activated. Well, first I took a week leave vacation to do my exam. As soon as I got my license activated, I took a one year leave from my work. And then I had my side business that I ran roughly till probably about the end of summer. So I kind of went full time about November, November, December of 2022, and really took it oh, seriously. And so the side business, how many hours a week were you spending on that? Uh, roughly about say 15, 25. Okay. So then you were fortunate that you could take a leave, but some people leave their job or whatever. So and then you work 15 plus hours a week. If you don't mind me asking, what was the side business? On the side business, I did asphalt maintenance. So I did driveway ceiling, epoxy garages, anything to do with seal coating, asphalt repair, patch. Is that from like family business stuff that you got you knew? Or was um, so that so when I left that, I started a smaller one just so I can run it when I did have my full-time job. So it was more residential base and small commercial. Okay. That's cool, man. Well, good for you. So the last part, when did you know you could put that aside? Was there a certain point you're like, I need to um, like honestly when I really started to notice the difference, you know, the hours that I put in, the relationships that I'm starting. And I want to maintain, I kind of made that decision at the end of the season. I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to sell everything off and I'm really going to put full time to it. I mean, at that time, I think I closed two mortgages. So it was a really big risk. And as well as I was doing a massive renovation on my home as well. But I was kind of had that thought. It's like, there's no other way to push yourself than, you know, not necessarily like you had no choice, but to know that you have to make this work. Right. Yeah. Having no other option is a good option sometimes, but not always. I mean, you had your finances in order and stuff. So, you know, of course. you don't want to do that and make yourself stressed out. Okay. Where can people find you online? So I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. You can just go at jstonemortgages. My email is jesse at stonemortgages.ca if you ever want to reach me or reach out. My website www.stonemortgages.ca basically on all platforms. Yeah, man. Awesome. Thanks for chatting with me, brother. And congrats on your success and keep crushing it. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode with Jesse. Hopefully got some inspiration from his story. And as I said, the number one characteristic that I have identified or I've seen over and over and over again in mortgage brokers who are successful in any market from any background, doesn't matter if they're tall, short, young, old, whatever, if they're blue, green, none of that stuff matters. What seems to matter most is actually if they are competitive and Jesse is competitive. It's actually one of those characteristics that if I could figure out how to test for that, it would be amazing. So if you imagine if you're like, oh, people who are competitive tend to be very driven. And I was recently talking to another one of my mortgage brokers who works for me. And this guy was like super competitive. He actually, when he first got in the rookie program, he decided to sleep on the floor of his living room on a thin mat until he got, I can't remember what it was, certain number of deals done or something. His wife is like, you're crazy. Why are you sleeping on the floor? And it's because he's like, he just wanted to compete. And if you met this guy, you would actually not know. You can't always tell by looking at somebody that's competitive. Like, so another one of our agents, Wilma, who currently holds a record for fastest 10 files funded. She's super sweet. If you meet her, you're like, oh my gosh, you are so sweet. But she is fiery competitive. She likes to win. 
And so that competitive nature is one of the things that really seems to drive success. So if you're not competitive, figure out how you can be competitive. Maybe think about, okay, in what arenas am I competitive? Am I competitive at Scrabble? Am I competitive at, I don't know what it is, you know, sports. And then the story you're telling yourself in that thing that you're competitive, apply that to your mortgage business and watch you grow. Jesse had talked about one of the things they thought we need to improve of our program. And I love the feedback. We're obsessed with getting better. We know that, you know, we think that we have a pretty great program, but there's always room for improvement. And a couple of things that he had brought up that I think it was important to touch on. One, we've completely overhauled the entire communication process for how we help our agents. So two things we've done. One is we help them with their first 20 files, not first 10 now. And the reason is because 10 files is not enough to know what you're doing, to be honest. You'll get to 100 and be like, huh, now I know what I'm doing, I think. And so we have ongoing support for the next 10 instead of having people trying to figure it out too quickly. The other thing is, is that we put in a lot more coaching and support. So for instance, when a file moves to a different stage, our agents will get a notification. Hey, we're now at this stage. Here's training specifically on this stage. So it's stage specific training because I can give you training on something, but if you're not actually going to use it right away, you're going to forget it. So like I could train you on it. And then, you know, two months later, you're like, what the heck? You got to start all over. So Having training that's stage specific has actually been something that we've implemented. And so far, the feedback's been good. But again, we're not done. We're going to be better. Six months from now, the program will be better again. We are obsessed with it. So thanks, Jesse, for coming to chat with me. If you are a rookie listening to this, I encourage you to go check out www.rookietorockstar.ca. Find out what we do to help rookies succeed. Our rookies have funded hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mortgages. And a lot of them did not fund a single mortgage prior to working with us. And we love that. We love their stories and we celebrate their success. They did the work. At the end of the day, Jesse did the hard work. He grinded it out and he had to do the tough stuff. And so if you sound like a guy like Jesse, if you're somebody like him, then we'd love to chat with you. Check out rookietorockstar.ca and I will see you on the next episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.